job, Bradley. Wow, he still got it, hasn't he? Hey, he might have lost his hair, but he ain't lost his voice. Well, I, I guarantee you that. Wow. Thank you, Bradley. I love Bradley. Bradley's a man of many talents. I can just tell you that right now. We've been together for 26 years here at Lindsay Lane, and we've learned a lot. Right, Bradley? We've learned a lot here. Thank you for being here. You know, in Galatians, I'm just thinking about that. When Bradley was singing that song, that's in the Bible, by the way, the Midnight Cry. talks about it at midnight. But in Galatians chapter 4, I believe it's verse 3 or 4, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, Jesus. I think it's going to happen something like this. This world is culminating and winding down. You do know that. Not only are you growing old, and I'm growing old, but the earth is growing old. The earth itself is under judgment. you know that? And so there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth right here on earth. The millennial kingdom is coming. But I believe in, in heaven right now, God's just waiting. Only God knows. By the way, when Jesus was on earth as a son of God, he didn't even know. When, when God was coming back, when he's going to send his son back. But I believe he's watching all of this is happening, and it's on his timetable. Nothing just occurs to God, you know that? And I believe one day he's going to say, Jesus, it's time. It's time. Angels, are you ready? You're going back. And he's going to send forth his son to come back for all of us in the rapture. During the, uh, the rapture, he's going to rapture up the church. Then we're going to come back with him in robes of white one day at the second advent of Christ. And I'm getting ahead, all right? But I'm just telling you, I've been studying and reading, and I am ready for Revelation. I'm so nervous. Most pastors not touching Revelation. I have. I preached through it years ago, but I'm excited because I believe the times, the signs of the time, we're seeing them right now. This thing with Syria this week. All of this stuff has biblical implications. It really does. And so we're watching the end times unfold right before our eyes. But there's going to be a day when God says, all right, it's time. Go get them. And church is going to be, be with him. But I am scared to death. I really am. You know what scares us about Revelation? The unknown. There's a lot of things we don't know and don't understand about Revelations. And I'm included in that, and I'm looking forward to allowing the Lord to speak into my heart, to help me with His wisdom, to teach revelation, but I'm scared. It reminds me of something. It reminds me of the first time I ever rode the Tower of Terror at Disney World. Now, I had my little grandson with me, Lincoln. He was scared to death, and the other grandchildren was with us, and I was literally, I didn't want them to know it, but I was scared to death. Watch this. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. There it is. <laughs> the Tower of Terror. And see, you're in this seat, and it's dark, and they're just kind of pushing you up here. <clears throat> you're just doing like this. And they're saying that while you're up there. 
I mean, Rod Sterling is right there in front of you saying, you're about to head into the twilight zone. And so I really feel like in beginning revelations, I'm kind of headed into a twilight zone here. And I'm really, really excited about it, even though I'm very, very nervous as well as we unpack the book of Revelation. So I covet your prayers. I pray that you're praying for your pastor as we go through this together. I'm excited about it. I think it's time. I've been waiting and praying. When will be a good time to really preach through the book of Revelations? And by the way, I've been preaching through all the books on Wednesday night. We do have Wednesday night service, all right, at 6.30. So I'm just got, I'm in Second Peter now, preaching through all the epistles. This is the epistle of John, if you will. And so we're going to talk about that. And so... Uh, there's a lot of things, as I said, we don't understand. Let me ask you this question. Uh, do you believe we're living in the last days? Hmm. That's a good question. Isn't it? We get asked that a lot. Is this the end times? Are we living in the last days? And uh, so I, I, with this thing going on, with series unfolding, a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East that we don't understand right now, but I believe in by and by it'll be made clearer to us and we'll see little pieces of the puzzle. And all of those kind of things. But you know the main thing is we don't really have to worry about it if we're a Christian. You do know that. If I wasn't a Christian, I'd be scared to death. Literally scared to death. But I am a Christian. And I know it's coming. The end times are coming. And I know death is coming. But I don't have to be afraid because I know the Savior. And by the way, I read the end of the book. We do win. Right? And so all of those things are involved in this. You see, who would imagine in our world, just recent days and years, we'd be faced with global terrorism, mass killings, economic perils, nuclear threats, political unravelings, and such major division in our world. Who would ever thought that, let's say 20, 30, 50 years ago, it'd be happening the way it's happening today? From the beginning of time, people have been concerned and even consumed about the end times, about what's going to happen in the future. What does the future hold? The devil has enslaved millions with astrology, with fortune-telling, with crystal ball and tea leaves. And the science fire industry has made millions in vivid imaginations about the future. And so we're curious we're concerned and consumed with the future. And we should be worried about the future, I guess, or concerned, not worried, but concerned. But I know who holds my future. And that gives me such peace. It really does. And, and, and such comfort that I know who holds my, feet, my future. Uh, I'll be looking at some commentaries through this uh, study of Revelation. But my favorite commenta- commentator, my favorite preacher... On prophecy is David Jeremiah. I love listening to David Jeremiah. He breaks things down so even Pastor Dusty can understand it. And so I got a quote from his new book, Escape the Coming Night. I have that book. And I've been reading some in that book. Escape the Coming Night. He says this. It's in your outline, by the way. I'm going to try to give you an outline each week so you can kind of take notes and things like that. Revelation will also motivate you to rearrange your priorities and patterns of life. I believe some people will cancel dates just to be here to hear about Revelation because we're so concerned about it and so consumed about it. And I'm glad you do. 
I'm glad you want to be here. I had so many people already in the past few weeks say, thank you for preaching in Revelation. I'm so excited. I've been praying for you. And I'm excited. I'm praying for you and us that together as we go through Revelation, we go through every day of our life. We'll think about the Lord and think about him coming back for us and think about eternity and share it with our friends who don't know Jesus. And so I'm excited, all right? When you learn about the rapture of the church, the unleashing of the tribulation, the unfolding of the last days of planet Earth, the rise of the Antichrist, the coming of the courage of the tribulation martyrs, the power of the heavenly angels, the return of Jesus, the great white throne judgment, the nature of hell, and the endless realm of heaven, you'll see your present life more clearly. That is a good word. And it's our future we're looking at. It's your future. Where are you going to spend eternity? I want you to ask yourself that this morning. Where are you going to spend eternity? Before Jesus comes back or when he comes back, he could come back for you today or tomorrow. We've got to think about it. The word revelation translated means an unveiling. And that's what revelation is. We get our, the, from the Greek word, we get our English word apocalypse. It simply means it's an unveiling. It means to uncover, to reveal, to manifest. What I'm trying to do over these next several months, maybe years, is manifest revelation. And some of you are saying, he's not kidding. <laughs> it may be a few years. I'm not going to hurry through it. I'm not going to touch every verse, but I'm going to try to get every context that we can through the book of Revelation. But it's, uh, it's something we need to understand. The book of Revelation, through the work of the Holy Spirit, what God does is roll back the curtain. That's why I love Revelation. He rolls back the curtain of time, or the future, if you will, and gives us vision into heaven. We get to look at what's going on in heaven and what's happening up there. and We get to see Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We get to look inside and get a glimpse of the future and the future events or what's going to be happening. And so that's why everybody really wants to know more about the future through revelation and the teachings of revelation is because we get to see what God has for us in the future. The fulfillment of Christ and his revealing son and his coming back and God's sovereign plan for the church. Do you know God's got a plan for you? You are the church. And God's got a plan for his bride, which is the church and the body of Christ. It's ironic at this. I read this, that Daniel chapter 12, when the prophet finished writing his prophecy... God instructed him to shut up the words and seal them in a book. Shut them up and seal them up for a time that I'll, I'll let you know. And then in Revelation chapter 22 in verse 10, John is instructed the opposite of that. John is taught, seal not the sayings of this prophecy of this book. I don't want you to seal them up. I want you to write about them. And so that's kind of ironic. And why is that? For this reason, I believe, since the crucifixion, since Christ has arisen, the resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, God has ushered in for us to see the end times. God is in a process of unfolding planet Earth during the end times. We're watching it unfold in our generation. We're after the cross. We're after the resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit. God's revealing things to us that others didn't have. The prophets, yes, God spoke through Zechariah and Daniel and Ezekiel. 
And we're going to be looking at some of these prophets during this study as well. In Revelation 1, verse 3, it says the time is near. In Revelation chapter 22, it says the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Do you know the Apostle Paul thought the time was at hand in his generation? The Apostle Paul wrote about the end times in several passages of Scripture. Just listen to this one. Write it on your outline. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Paul said this, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Wow, it sounds just like the 21st century, doesn't it? It sounds like I'm reading out of the USA Today. It's right here with us. Paul prophesied that. And so did Daniel and Zechariah and Ezekiel and others. And so we're seeing the end times unfold right before our eyes. And I believe it's getting close. Well, let's read verses 1 through 3. We're going to go all the way to verse 8 today. But I want you to read the first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, the Lord Jesus, to show his servants... These things which must shortly, or some translations say quickly, quickly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John. John is the gospel writer, John. He wrote the gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the epistles, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. He was one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And to all things that he saw, not only while he walked with Jesus on earth, but also God gave him the vision to look into heaven to what he saw in the end times that were coming. He's writing about this. He's writing about everything he saw, and the Holy Spirit instructed him. And in verse 3, look at this. This is interesting. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. You're being blessed this morning by reading the book and also hearing your pastor preach on it. So I'm blessing you this morning. (laughs) Amen. You're blessing me by being here and we're hearing it together. And keep those things which are written in it. In the book, not only Revelation, but all of the scriptures, because the time is near. The time is near. The revelation, the It was written in A.D. 90 to A.D. 96 by John. It was the emperor Dominican as he was an evil ruler, an emperor. He assaulted the Christians, had some of them exiled just like he did John. John has been exiled. He's the only disciple left. He was the only one that wasn't martyred per se. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Now, Patmos was an island rock quarry. It really was. It's where they exiled political prisoners and and thieves and robbers and all of those uh, type and so they exiled John there he was a threat against them and so they exiled him to Patmos and this is the setting in which John wrote the book of Revelation he's the author and so as we look at the recipients who's he writing to 
He's writing to us, but he's writing to the seven churches of Asia Minor, which would be modern-day Turkey in that area. He's writing to the seven churches. And he's writing to us, of course, through through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well. The theme of Revelation is the coming of Jesus during the end time. That's the theme of it. It's the coming of Jesus, the second advent, the second coming of Jesus during the end times. And the key verses, I would think if you had a key verse, they would be found in verse 8 and verse 19. I'll read those to you. Verse 8, we're going to talk about this one in a moment. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Now look in verse 19. Write these things, John, which you have seen, the things which are the things which will take place after this. So that's kind of the theme, if you will, of what John is writing to us in Revelation. Now, John's prophecy is primarily focused on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which it says, Jesus Christ, the, uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is all about. You see, you cannot separate the person from the prophecy. You can't separate that. In your outline, it's true. Without the person, there could be no fulfillment of the prophecy. A lot of people get hung up on the prophecy of Revelation, but I'm telling you, the theme of it, the principle of it, is about the person of Revelation. Amen? The King is coming. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's full. The Revelation all the way to chapter 1 to chapter 22, every one of those chapters talk about Jesus. And so it's not just about prophecy, it's about the person of the prophecy. For instance, in Revelations 1 through 3, he's the, he's the exalted priest king ministering to the churches. It's Jesus. In Revelations 4 and 5, Christ is seen in heaven and the glorified Lamb of God reigning on the throne of God. In Revelation 6 through 18, he is the conquering judge of all the earth. He's coming back, by the way, to judge the earth. In Revelations 19 and 20, Christ returns to the earth as the conquering king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then, finally, in chapter 21 and chapter 22, Christ is the bridegroom who's meeting with the bride in the marriage supper of the Lamb, and together, they're together forever and ever in the glorious place called heaven. And that's what Revelation, that's an overview of Revelation. It's all about Jesus. It really is. And that's why I want to talk to you this morning about the coming of the King, or the coming, the King is coming. He is coming. And I'm looking forward to Him coming back. Amen? And I hope that you are too. So in Revelation chapter 1 and 2, there's three things here that you see the revelation of Jesus Christ. It says, first of all, that he is the the Son of God. In verse number 1, he's the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also it talks about, number 2, the author. The author was without a doubt John, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. John was faithful to write everything that he saw, the Bible says, and he got a picture. God blessed him. You know, he's referred to in the disciples' 
or in the, in, the, uh, in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, John is referred to, he never refers to himself in the book of John as he writes it. He never refers to himself as John, the son of Zebedee, it says, the brother of James. We know that about him. But he always refers to himself as that disciple that Jesus loved. You ever think about that? You ever think about why he's the last one that wasn't martyred? It's just a, re- it's just a relationship that John had with Jesus. And they, all of them had that relationship, but something about it, I don't even know what it is, but it just says the disciple that Jesus loved. And we see John is the one that was chosen not to be martyred, but to be exiled and to write this great prophecy, this great book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, here's something else. I, I preached through the whole book of John. Think about it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote about the ministry of Jesus. But John wrote about the life of Jesus. Remember those messages on the life of Jesus? You see, he knew Jesus personally. They knew him personally as well. They talked about his ministries, his miracles, and all of those things. There was something about John that he knew Jesus personally. By the way, you know all of them fled Gethsemane? Who was it that stuck with Jesus? John. Peter ran. Nathaniel, James, they all ran or scattered. Not John. He went all the way into the palace with him. He was the one that knew him intimately and personally. And oh, oh, what a blessing that God's given him to write this great book. And so we got to look at that through John's eyes and how God anointed him to write this great book. It's obvious that this great book was written by the Holy Spirit, which is the number three point. But in verse number three, I want you to look at verse number three. This is an interesting passage of Scripture. Look at it. It's obvious that the book of Revelation should be preached. I don't know why more pastors don't preach on it. I know why. It's kind of nervous. Especially, I'm comfortable with the events of Revelation that's happening in prophecy. But when you get into those beasts and bowls and vials and trumpets and all of those things, those things are kind of nervous, aren't they? We don't understand all about that. But I'm telling you, God's got a plan. And God's going to reveal things that we need. And I believe this. Listen, I said this on Wednesday night, I believe. The more you seek the Lord, the more He reveals to you. Don't ever forget that. The more you seek Him the more He reveals to you. He's going to reveal Scripture. He's going to reveal Himself to those who love Him and seek Him. And when you're seeking God, you're going to find Him. And so when you, have a, when you really want to know Him and you really want to have an intimate relationship with Him, He's all in. He's all in for that. He's just waiting on us. And so uh, we, we need to preach this text and it says here in verse number three blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy wow it's a blessing and so any believer that wants to read it and get involved in it god will reveal himself to him now here's the truth in your outline god promised a special blessing to the one who would read the book and obey its message wow what a blessing god wants us to have as his children He's not trying to hide things from us. And I'll, I'll talk to you about why the symbolism. There's a reason why things were done in symbols uh, with the beast and all of those kind of things. And there was a reason behind that. And we'll talk about that later on. All right. 
Now, there are moderates today. There are liberals today. Those who would say that Revelation should not be read and Revelation should not be studied because it's filled with symbolisms. And there's no way we can understand that, so it shouldn't be read and it shouldn't be taught and preached. But get this. It's the only book in the Bible that has a promise for those who it begins with a promise and it also ends with a promise. Amen? It begins right here, verse number 3, and it ends all the way to chapter 22, a blessing to those who read it and those who understand it. And so it's addressed to those in the seven churches. Now let's look in verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. Again, it's modern Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It's kind of the uh, Asia Minor uh, area there that they, that they lived in and served in. And so it's written to the seven churches there, which represent the seven churches are per, 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 something, all right? <laughs> Paramic view of all the churches, including Lindsay Lane. It's addressed to those seven churches, but it's addressed to each church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that. So he's writing this to the seven churches. And we're going to talk about those over the next several weeks in chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation of the seven churches. Now, it's, it's, it's very important to understand the number seven is significant. Do you know the number seven is used 54 times in the book of Revelation? There's something about the number seven. He just talked about verse 3 is a beatitude. Blessed are those who read and, and hear this text. There are seven beatitudes given in the book of Revelation. In other words, there's seven times that he says, blessed. Seven, here they are. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 14, verse 13. Chapter 16, verse 15. Chapter 19, verse 9. Chapter 20, verse 6. Chapter 22, verse 7 and 14. Use the word blessed are they. There's seven beatitudes through there. Now, the number seven, in your outline, here's a fact. The number seven is important in this book because it signifies fulfillness and completeness. In other words, when you hear that number seven, six is the number of a man. We'll talk about 666 later on. It's the number of a man. But when you come to the number seven, it signifies completeness and fulfillment. I love the number seven. When I was playing ball, I always asked for number seven, even when I was in Little League. It wasn't because I was reading Revelation, all right? It was because I loved Mickey Mantle. Mickey Mantle was my hero growing up for the New York Yankees and center fielder. And I kind of idolized Mickey Mantle. And so every time I got on the team, I asked for number seven. And I always wore And my daughters were the same way. I told them, get number seven, get number seven. And so when they could... They, uh, they would fight for it, all right? So anyway, uh, I love number seven. But I didn't even realize then the significance of the number seven. It really does have important significance. In Revelation, seven represents God's great work, His completeness, His fulfillment. See, Revelation is fulfilling, completing the work of God. And so this number seven is used so many times to represent God, as he does his great work and ushers in his eternal kingdom. For instance, we're going to discuss the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. In Revelations chapter 5, we're going to talk about the seven seals. In Revelations chapter 8, we're going to talk in 6, and we're going to talk about the seven trumpets. 
In Revelation 16, we're going to talk about the seven vials or the seven bowls. In Revelations 1.16, he talks about the seven stars. In Revelations 1.12, he talks about the seven lampstands, which we'll talk about probably next week. All right? In John chapter 4, he gives a special message to each of these churches in chapter 2 and 3. Those are coming attractions. Most scholars believe that he gives uh, the uh, paramic view of all the seven churches from the apostolic times there in Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, all the way to the apostate days in which the 21st century in the church of Laodicea is a is a, an example of that. And by the way, we are living in apostate days. That simply means there's a falling away. You know, one of the signs of the second coming of Jesus is when the apostate begins. The apostasy. What does that mean? First Thessalonians talks about it. There's coming a day when people are going to fall away. People are going to fall out of church. Church isn't important to them anymore. Being righteous isn't important to them anymore. It's kind of drifting away and falling away and an apostasy where I just don't really care anymore takes over. And that's one of the signs when you start seeing that. That's one of the signs that's ushering in the last days. How are we going to know the last days? You want to see some things. Wars and rumors of wars happening before our eyes. Apostasy. All of these kind of things starting to happen. Mass killings. I mean, it's just a hatred. It's just an evil in our land. And when that begins to manifest itself, the church is close to being raptured. Close. And I really believe, I'm not trying to be a prophet here, I'm not, but I really believe, as others believe, that we're living close to the last days. Now, look with me in verses 4 through 6. John writes to the seven churches in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him. Now notice this. Who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Wow. That's the threefold mission of Christ, if you will. There, He's a faithful servant, number one. Look at that. He is a faithful servant. He's the eternal one. Our faithful servant from the Lord. He's the first risen. He's the first fruit, if you will, from the dead. He's a risen Lord. He's alive. And he's washed us, number three, if you will, he's washed us from our sins. He's cleansed us from our sins. He is our redeemer. He's the one that redeems us. It talks about the seven spirits here, which really means there's only one spirit, capital S, There's really only one spirit, but these seven spirits really manifold or complete. Remember the word seven? It completes the Holy Spirit as he operates as the spirit among us. For instance, I believe he's alluding to Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2 here, which says this. The spirit of the Lord rests upon him, Jesus the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So all of these spirits, if you will, manifest themselves into one Holy Spirit. There's only one Spirit, and that is the Lord in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. And so in verse number 5, 
Jesus manifests himself in three different offices, if you will. He's a prophet. He's a faithful witness. He's also the priest. He's a high priest. He's our high priest. And he's also a king in the order of Melchizedek. If you remember in the Old Testament, that Jesus is referred to in the Old Testament, even as Abraham, far back as Abraham, in the order of Melchizedek. He's a priestly king. There's a reason for that. He's our great high priest. He intercedes for you and I. The the cross is the bridge that gave us intercession, if you will, to God. Through Christ, who died for our sins, the faithful one, the prophet, and then the priestly king. He fulfilled the priest's role. He is a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we have access to God through our high priest. It's so important that we understand that. And he's the Trinity, the part of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. If you look there in 1 Peter chapter 2, just for a moment, just turn back to your left and look at the epistle of Peter. And look in 1 Peter chapter 2. He gives reference to this, by the way, and I want you to see this. First Peter chapter 2, look in verse 5. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house. He's referring to you and I as Christians, the children of God, as being living stones and built up in a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices, not goats and bulls, spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. Now look in verse 9. 2 Peter, I mean 1 Peter 2, verse 5. Now look in verse 9. But you, speaking to the church, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's a reference to the ecclesia. The Greek word ecclesia means the called out ones. That would be you and I. We've been what? Called out of darkness into the light. Now let me explain just for a moment the priesthood of the believer. This is why you don't have to go to the Pope. This is why you don't have to go to any priest or really any pastor to get to God. We are the priesthood of the believers now. We are the royal living stones, a royal chosen people. We have direct access to God through Jesus Christ. That's why he is a priestly king. He fulfilled the role of the high priest. All the Jews had to go to the temple. They had to go and let the high priest go back behind the veil and intercede for their sins. It's called the sin offering. They had to go back there and go to the go to the mercy seat, get the blood around the horns and sprinkle it over the people for their forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ shed his blood for your sins. He is your high priest in Hebrews chapter 7 and other passages of scripture. He shed his blood for you. You're covered by the blood of Christ, not by an animal or a goat. You're covered by his blood. And you have direct access to God anytime, any place. Any moment you can go to God because as a Christian, you're going through the priestly kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given you that right. He's given you that authority that you and I personally, you don't have to come to Pastor Dusty to intercede. I can pray for you and intercede for you, but you have access to the same God I have access to as a Christian. 
Amen? It's called the priesthood of the believer. And that's why we need to understand that. That's why you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ to God through Jesus Christ. It's so imperative that we understand that. Uh, The overriding theme of the book of Revelation, as I mentioned, is the return of Jesus Christ to defeat all of the evil and to establish his kingdom. That's what this is all about. You're going to see through the book of Revelation, he's going to, he's going to defeat evil, Satan, the, the, the false prophet, the Antichrist, and he's going to establish his kingdom. Now, here's the truth in Revelation. Revelation is definitely a book of victory as his people are seen as overcomers. We're seen as overcomers. That is an awesome quote because we're seen... In the, you'll see in the seven churches, he uses this word over and over. We're overcomers because of the victory of Jesus. You know how you can overcome sin today? You know how you can overcome uh, the, the things in your life that hold you down and hold you back? You're an overcomer through your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have become overcomers because our Savior, Jesus, has overcome death, the grave, Satan, all of it. And because we're in him and we belong to him, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an overcomer. Now, why is Revelation such a message to the church? It's a message to each of us individually, but also of the church. There's many unbelievers who look at Christ as being defeated. He's dead. He's not risen. There's a lot of Jews that believe that. There's a lot of people, atheists, whatever, believe that Jesus isn't real. He's been defeated. And so for us, we've read the book, and we do win. That's why we shouldn't grow weary in well-doing, my friends. We should keep on keeping on with Jesus on a daily basis. I'm telling you, he's coming back for us. He's coming back for you and I. And so Peter Marshall has this quote. Peter Marshall put it like this. It is better to fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail. That's a good word. As a Christian, as a child of God, I have the promise of God that I'm going to be overcome, an overcomer and that I have victory in Jesus. I'm telling you, it's more than a hymn we sing, victory in Jesus. It's a great truth for every Christian that has hope, that has encouragement and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ that as he overcame, You and I are overcomers as well. Now, I want to close in uh, verse 7 and verse number 8, beginning to close. I want you to see this. All right? Verse 7. Look at verse 7. Behold, He, Jesus, is coming. Amen? He is coming back. Bradley just talked about it or sang about it in that great song, The Midnight Cry. Son, go get your children. He's coming back for you. The king is coming. We don't know exactly when he's physically coming back, but we know that he is. And so we know the king is coming. Look in verse 7. He's coming with the, in the clouds, with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. The, the Roman centurions who actually pierced him, they're going to see him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Now, what is he talking about here? He's describing the return of Jesus Christ as Savior. One thing you don't need to confuse about this passage, he's coming in the clouds. This is not the rapture. 
He's not referring here to the rapture. The rapture is, is very, uh, very well documented and explained in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about the, the second coming or when Christ comes back for the church. So this coming in the clouds where he speaks in, in Revelation chapter 7 is not referring to the rapture. The rapture happens before that. This is when, when, the wor- the, when the evil is manifested itself and when the time comes... The church is going to be raptured out of here. We're going to go up and join the Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds. And then we're going to be with him. And then when the second advent happens, that's what he's talking about here. He's speaking of the second coming of Christ physically to planet earth. We're going to be with him. The saints who have been raptured and out of the grave and those who are on this planet when he, when he calls for us in the rapture, we will join him, all of us in the air. We will have our glorified bodies. We'll be dressed and robed in white. And at the second coming in verse number seven, when he comes back, we will come back with him. Now, look at what it says in verse number seven to verify that. You can read First Thessalonians chapter four about the rapture, if you will, uh, when he, when he, talks all about that. Paul explains that in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. is about the rapture, the coming in the air. Now, the second advent described here will be witnessed by the whole world. And see, a lot of times when we're raptured up, I don't understand all of that, but we're gone. They say, well, where did Bradley go? He was just here yesterday. Where is he? And that, that kind of thing. But I believe it will be manifested in a way that we can't even explain how that's going to happen when the rapture takes place. But here is the second coming of Christ. This is the coming of the King of Kings on the great white horse. This is the coming of the second coming of Advent. Notice what it says. Every eye is going to see him then. Everybody. When they who pierced him, all of them. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. They're going to be devastated because the Christians have already been raptured. We're not going to be devastated. We're already with him. So those on the earth, every eye shall see him. Every knee will bow. Amen. Remember that in scripture? Every eye is going to see him. Every knee is going to bow at the second advent, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not going to be secret. It's going to be public. It'll be public. Everybody's going to know it. There he is. We've heard about those Christians. Pastor Dusty preached on that one time. I remember going to hear him. People talked about it all the time. And it's actually happened. Jesus is coming back. There he is. And they're going to hide from him. They're going to pray the mountains will fall on them. All kind of stuff. Because they never believe. Every tongue will see. Now I want you to turn. I don't have time. I'm not going to try to do all of it in first, the first sermon. All right. But you need to understand the prophecy that really undergirds Revelation. One of them is Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 12, you know one of the, one of the things, one of the uh, items that we're going to talk about that's going to happen in the end times is the millennial kingdom is going to be established. There's more written and said in the Bible about the millennial kingdom than any other prophecy we're going to talk about. Zechariah speaks greatly to the millennial kingdom set up for, the, for those who are here, go through the tribulation period, those who go through the thousand-year reign of the millennial kingdom, mostly the Jews. He's going to deal with the Jews in the millennial kingdom. But I want you to look at Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Here's what the Bible says. And I will pour on the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, 
the spirit of grace and supplication, and then they will look on me whom they pierced. See, this is a coming back. This is in the, the New Testament, right? When they pierced him. But now he's talking to them, saying, you're going to see me when I come back, those whom you, who you, the one you pierced. Look at it. They're going to look on me when they, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. I'm telling you, Israel is going to be mourning over the Lord Jesus Christ because they crucified him. They denied that he was the Messiah. And then all of those left on earth who are not believers, they're going to mourn as well at the second coming of Christ. And so we see that in verse number 7. Look at it. Again, it relates to all the tribes. That would be those of Israel. Those who are left behind, if you will. Those who are not Messianic Jews. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want, you, I want you to see that. It's very important. Now, at the appearance, when Jesus comes back, remember how he left? He's coming back as judge. He's going to judge the earth. And I'm telling you, when you get to the uh, battle of Armageddon, we're going to be with him, but we're, we're going to be dressed in white. So, well, won't we get blood? No, we're not going to do anything. He's just going to speak it. And it's going to happen. He's going to destroy the earth, if you will, as we know it. Establish the new kingdom. And so we see in verse number 7, he's going to be judged when he comes back as well. And this is the climax of the tribulation period. Now I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. This is very important because Matthew 24 is an end times book reference. A lot of reference there to the end times, coming back of Christ. But I want you to see Matthew uh, chapter 24, very significant passage of Scripture, or chapter, if you will, in the, in, the, in, the, in the Bible. Look in verse 29. Matthew chapter 24, and I want you to look in verse number uh, 29 and following. Look at this. Watch it. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, this is the seven-year period of tribulation, after that, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. Bradley just sing about it. He will sing his Send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather to gather his elect, those who are left of the tribulation and millennial. He'll gather them all together from the four corners of the world. And together we'll be with him in heaven and heaven and the new earth and heaven forever and ever and ever. And I want you to look in verse number 8 as I close. Look at this. Look what God says here. The Lord Jesus Christ. He concludes in verse 8 with this. And I am the Omega, and I, Alpha and the Omega, which simply means I'm the beginning and the end, says the Lord. Look at this. Here it is again. Jesus is speaking, who is the Lord, who is, even from the beginning of time. That's why in Genesis 1.26, God said, let us create man in our own image, that Jesus was with him. He was, if you will, look at it, who is, he is, 
Today, the Holy Spirit, who was and who is to come, the great, on the great white horse, the Savior and Lord, the Almighty, is coming back. You do know He's coming back, right? And so God refers to Himself as the Alpha and Omega, and guess what? Jesus Christ Himself refers to Himself also as the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was, who is, and who is to come. The revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is coming back. He's coming back at the rapture to claim his church will be caught up with him. And in the second advent, the second coming of Christ, we will join him as he comes back to set up his kingdom and to judge the world. It's going to be a glorious day for those who know him. The king is coming soon and very soon. The question today for you and I is, will you be ready? And the question today, right now, are you ready? What if he came back today? What if he raptured us today? What if every Christian was raptured today? Would you be with us or would you be left behind? That's a good question. Not, it's a scary question, yes, but it's an honest question that you've got to answer and I've got to answer. Are you ready to meet Jesus are you ready to meet him whenever that time comes? We don't know when it is. It could be today. It could be tonight. You could have an accident. You could just fall over. That's your time to meet him. The question is today, and I'm asking this question very, very humbly, but I want you to answer it. Are you ready to meet Jesus? If you're not, we can help you with that today. I'll be here. Our pastors will be here to help you. We're not going to embarrass you. You just want to tell you how you can meet Jesus, how you can know in your heart that you're ready, you belong to him. We'd love to do that. And by the way, if you drifted away, you're one of those that's drifted away from him, you need to come and confess your sin. We'll be glad to pray with you. The altar will be open. If you need to find a church home that teaches the truth of God, that will love you, this is it. We'd love to have you at Lindsay Lane. So whatever your decision today is, we'll have an invitation. We're going to sing. We're going to stand. And I want to ask you, are you ready? And if you're not, I promise you, right now is the best time you're going to have. Right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this word. This word of introduction somewhat to Revelation. But Lord, it's a word that reminds us that we've got to be ready, Lord, as Christians. You've provided everything that we need to be saved. You sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sin, to forgive us of our sin. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were sinners. He died for us. And Lord, we got to believe that and receive it in our heart and we can be saved. I pray for those, Lord, who are here today that need to be saved. Those watching by live stream, if they'll just kneel right where they are and accept Christ as their Savior. And let us know, Lord, if they, they're a believer now. I pray for this invitation. I pray for Christians who have gotten away that need to come. Maybe to an altar, maybe to us and pray for them. Maybe a burden. Some want to join this congregation, this fellowship. I pray they would come. Lord, do a mighty work that no one can do but you. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us? God's spoken into your heart this morning. Why don't you come? We'd love to have you. We'd love to talk with you. Why don't you come right now? Will you do that as we sing? Oh, let the sun.